morning. Great to be with you. Why don't you grab your Bibles and turn to John 13 that you just heard there on the screen. John 13, around verse 33 or so. That's where we'll be in just a few minutes. It's a big day here for us. We call today Connect Day. A lot of different opportunities to connect in the life of this church and be equipped here. And If you're a guest or you're new to Tri-Cities, boy, it's a great week to be here. Uh, even as we're gathered in here right now, there's a host of parents downstairs as a part of Parent Connect being equipped as we disciple the next generation. And then for all of you immediately following this service, there are life group guides and study group leaders and teachers downstairs. They're ready to meet you and help you find an opportunity to connect uh, with a group uh, here at our church. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes, but it's a big day. Uh, Also, we're in the middle of our real prayer emphasis in the month of January. Many of you have been a part of that. You've taken your hour and your prayer slot. Some of you in the the really godly ones of you, the real wee hours of the morning. And, uh, we're praying and hoping that for 744 straight hours in the month of January, not a single hour goes by that somebody from our church is not crying out to God on behalf of our church and one another and our community and the ends of the earth. And there's still some slots open as we continue on in the week and go on our website, on the app, and just pick a time slot. And we're praying. We're taking it really seriously as a church. We're praying for God's glory, that he would be glorified as we just sang about it in the life of our church. Uh, last week, if you were here, we talked about praying for families. That We, we long and we're asking God to uh, create and provide healthy families. And we talked about that last week. And today, uh, we're really focusing on this idea. We're praying for our, our devotion to one another. And what that basically means is that we as the people of God would grow and we would learn what it means to love one another as Jesus commands us. What does that look like? It's one of those areas, if I'm real honest, that we talk about and if you've grown up in the church, you've grown up in the south, you, you probably think you have a pretty good grasp of the idea of fellowship or community or whatever term you use, but this idea of how we treat one another and the reality is Man, this week as I was studying and bearing in in what Scripture says, I I personally was so strongly challenged that many times I view the church and I view my brothers and sisters in Christ in a way that's much, 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 much less or much, 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 much different than how God views the church. It's going to be challenging today and I hope equipping for us as we continue to talk about our devotion to one another. So let me kind of set up what we're going to talk about in John 13 this way. Uh, What would you say is the distinguishing characteristic of a follower of Christ? What would you say is that distinguishing characteristic? And Jesus said there is a characteristic that is, if it's there and it's evident and it's visible, the whole world is going to know that you are a true follower of Jesus Christ. What is that? Uh, In the animal kingdom, there are some animals that have such distinguishing characteristics that, man, when you see that animal, there's no doubt what that animal is. It just has such an outward, visible, tangible, distinguishing characteristic. There's no confusion what it is. So we're going to do a little little audience participation, okay? So when I put a slide up on the screen, you got to tell me what animal it is. All right, it's really easy. Don't worry. Ready? All right, go to the first one. What's that? Goldfish. Nobody in here went, uh, I think that's a catfish. No. Clearly, distinguishing characteristics of a goldfish. All right, go to the next one. What, what, what is that? Dalmatian. Nobody went, uh, I think it's a poodle, 
right? No. Clear, distinguishing characteristics is a Dalmatian. Now, one more. This one might be a little more tricky. What, what's that? Well, there's not a lot of bird lovers here, obviously. It's not a pigeon. I'll tell you that. It's a parrot. Distinguishing characteristics that you're to look at that bird and go, man, no doubt. There's such tangible, visible, outward characteristics. There's no doubt that thing is a parrot. Now, what's the point of that little exercise? Here's the point of that exercise. Jesus said of you and me. There is to be a distinguishing characteristic about our lives as followers that all the world unmistakably would look at us and go, that guy's a follower of Jesus. What is it? John chapter 13, just read along with me. I'm going to begin in about verse 33. I'll read down through verse 35. These are fairly familiar verses. Uh, to set the context, you always need the context of what you're reading so it will make sense. This is Thursday night before Jesus is crucified the next day. He's gathered his disciples. They're there in that upper room. Judas has already left. And just a few minutes earlier before he makes the statement, he's been down on the ground washing and wiping the dirt out from between the toes of his disciples. So he's been doing, he's been washing the disciples' feet. He's been modeling for them selfless, sacrificial love. So he makes this statement beginning in verse 33. He says, little children, I'm with you a little while longer. Speaking of the cross, you'll seek me, as I said to the Jews. Now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. I'm going away. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to the place to pay for the sins of the world. And I'll do it alone. Verse 34, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you, my disciples, you, God's people, love one another. And then he says this in verse 35. This is just a striking statement. He says this, by this. By this, all men, all people, the world that is watching will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now listen, that ought to catch our attention this morning. And I'll just say, even this week, again, as I'm preparing and I'm in this just like you are this morning, it's very convicting and challenging to me personally for Jesus to say, hey, look, Take an, take an inventory of your life, look at your week, look at your priorities, look at your schedule, look how you spent your time. Would there be tangible outward evidence for the world to point and go, man, that guy's a follower of Jesus. Look how he loves his brothers and sisters in Christ. That's challenging. Jesus said it is by this that all men will know that you're my disciples. So there's a big truth we're going to wrestle with this morning and then try to pull some truths out of that and application to our lives. So if Jesus is right, and he is, if Jesus knows what he's talking about, and he does, here's the big truth of what he's saying. Go ahead and put that up on the screen. The distinguishing characteristic of a Jesus follower is our love for one another. That's challenging. A lot of other things that might come to mind, a lot of other pursuits that might come to your mind, Jesus said, look, there is to be in the life of every true follower of Jesus this overwhelming evidence 
of how you love one another that the world would look and go, man, that, that guy's a follower of Jesus. It's challenging, convicting. Romans, Paul says it this way. He says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. 1 John 3.16, the same writer that wrote the Gospel of John, writes a letter, and he says this, We know love by this. And you know, we're, in, we're swimming in a sea of different definitions and understandings of what the word love means. Scriptural authority says, We know love by this, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now here's what that means, and this is glorious. This basically means that us, you, we, the people of God, are to demonstrate a supernatural, fervent, deeply devoted love for one another that is seen nowhere else in the world. Isn't that glorious to think about? I mean, I mean to take it from a kind of a vision standpoint, Jesus is to say, listen... You have the capacity because of the Spirit of God in you. I've demonstrated love to you. My Spirit is in you. And and the way believers treat one another and love one another and serve one another. We'll talk about all that in just a minute. It is to be a quality of love that is seen nowhere else in the world. That the world looks on and says, "What? it's so different. It's not like what we see in the world around us. And I'll just add this. And, and by the way, this is one of those things that you, I hope you in this room have experienced and you know there is great glory to experience the love that can be within the people of God. And we also know that the opposite can be true, that if I were to ask you in this room which of you have been hurt or let down or whatever phrase you want to use by someone in the church or a part of the church, there would be a very long line down in front of this room, right? We all know that. We know that. The point is, as believers, Christ in us, all of us who are true followers of Christ, we are in a day-by-day, spirit-led, grace-empowered process of learning to love each other as Christ loves us. It's a process. You haven't arrived. I hadn't arrived. This church hadn't arrived. Jesus says it's a process. We're growing to love one another. And it's to be a love that that is, is not found anywhere else on the planet. And by the way, I'll add this because this is very, very important, especially this week. That kind of love that we show to one another, that kind of laying down our lives for one another that Jesus describes, it's regardless of your income, of your socioeconomic class, it is regardless of your skin color, of your nationality, of your background, who your parents are, how many kids you have, what your level of education is, whatever demographic you want to throw out there, it is regardless of all of that, the church is to be people who are completely different, have different pursuits, different colors of skin, different backgrounds, are drawn together supernaturally by the love of Jesus Christ. And the world is to look on that and go, man, how they love each other. Why does that guy from that side of the tracks have anything to do with that guy from that side of the tracks? They seem to have nothing in common. 
And the church is to say, we have everything in common, the spirit and the power and the person of Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel. Church is to model that. So this morning, I hope there's this sense of, if we're really honest with each other, we know there's gaps in our lives where that comes from. I don't love like that. I want to. The potential of Christ in me, we're learning within a community like this, a body of believers to love one another. That's why we're having a day like this called Connect Day where you can get involved in community and you can get involved in groups. It's not about holding up our program. It's not about chasing some program just so we can check off the numbers. It's about creating opportunities for you and I to involve ourselves in each other's lives so that by grace and the Spirit of God we can learn to love each other like this. Because it doesn't come natural, right? doesn't come natural. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you several big ideas around this. And we're going to chase some of this and talk about this incredible, beautiful thing that God has granted to us, the people of God, that we want to pursue. Now, <laughs> I'm wrestling with this because in, in my wrestling with it even this week, I think we need a moment of honesty with each other to say, okay, there are threats to this. In other words, there are barriers in our thinking and there are barriers in our culture and there are barriers in our own lives that trip us up in this idea of learning to love each other as Jesus describes. There's some threats there. And maybe it'll help. I just jotted some of these down. Maybe it'll help to identify some of these. Maybe you can identify with some of these and, and others you can't, but... One is, there's a threat called individualism. Individualism is a major threat for every child of God to be able to learn and practice and live out the kind of love or receive the kind of love that Jesus describes here. Individualism for a believer is this. It's me and Jesus. And me and Jesus, we got our private thing going on, and my relationship with Jesus is this personal, private relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Well, let me just tell you something. That is absolutely unbiblical. You say, excuse me? <laughs> Personal relationship with Christ? Absolutely. Private? Nowhere in Scripture. Nowhere in Scripture. In other words, when Jesus Christ saved you, when God saved you, he brought you, yes, to himself, and he brought you into a family. Within every other believer, there is a connection that you share. You live in the Western world, and every message you get, every commercial you watch, everything that's held out to you is an individual mindset that teaches you to think mostly about yourself and never to think about group, the people, my decisions, how they affect me. Scripture teaches us to think, okay, my decisions, my preferences, how I spend my time, how I spend my money, how does it affect my brothers and sisters in Christ? We don't think that way. And there's a barrier there. There's other threats. Another threat is <laughs> the threat of busyness. Uh, listen, that gets me and that steps all over my toes. In the Western world, we have such busyness. And if we look at our lives, we have just a sliver of margin to learn to love one another as God calls us to love. And we substitute things that matter for often things that just simply don't matter. And I do too. Another threat to this, and this is going to 
just be really challenging for us is when the world looks, what the world sees are people who claim to know Jesus Christ, but they're merely church members who've never been born again by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. The kind of love that Jesus is calling us here, and I'll say it again, does not come naturally. You're not born with the capacity to agape love as Jesus calls us to. It is only possible by the being born again by the Spirit of God, transforming you and me from the inside out, giving us this what Jesus calls a new birth. And when those who have been born again, they learn to love each other. And those who don't have the Spirit of Christ become very frustrated and very bitter. And as some people say, just mean people in the church. There's some mean people in the church. No finger pointing, please. There's also some gloriously spirit-filled, God-honoring, Christ-loving people in the church who have been transformed by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And to watch how those folks learn to love each other is a glorious thing to watch. So there's some threats to this. There's some threats in our lives, and maybe you can identify with some of those. So let me give you a couple big ideas with this, and we'll chase those in in the time we have remaining. Now, my goal is I'm going to try to preach less and get you out a little bit early so you can go down to the Connect Fair. And all of God's people said, yeah, right, we'll see. That's my goal. Preach a little less and give you time to get out. So let me go through these somewhat quickly. Number one, big idea. This is huge. Because of our supernatural, eternal union with God's Son. We have a supernatural, eternal union with God's people. Let that resonate with you for a minute. In other words, I said earlier, even as I'm studying this week and I'm preparing for this, I realize I have a very low view of what it means to be part of God's family sometimes. And I have a very low, distorted view of what it means to be born again and brought into God's family. This supernatural, eternal union with God's Son gives us a supernatural, eternal union with God's people. Jesus prayed for this. John 17, verse 20. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer the night before he was crucified, he's praying for you, he's praying for me. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word. That's us. 21. That... They may all be one. Jesus is praying to his Father, and he's praying for a oneness, a connection to exist between all believers throughout all time. Jesus is praying for that, and he says, Even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That is a glorious truth. Jesus is saying, Father, I ask you to do something through through the power of the Spirit in the life of every believer, that there is this bond, this connection, this oneness that believers share that we simply don't share with those who don't know Christ. People sometimes pray for the unity of the body, and rightly so. The point is, Jesus Christ prayed for a oneness. He gave his life for a oneness. You have an eternal union with every other believer. But Paul said in Ephesians, sometimes we've got to fight for that unity. And we've got to be diligent to preserve that unity because there's threats to that unity. Sometimes you and I in our practice and you and I in our understanding take for granted the fact that you have been brought into a significant eternal union with other believers. And yet the world tells us, no, 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 you're okay, just you and Jesus. No, 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 that's not 
the way God has intended it. It is within this union and living out the one another is within this union where we grow and where we're challenged and where we help others grow and we experience God's love through the body of Christ. So Jesus prayed for this. Secondly, Jesus died for this. 1 Peter 1.22, Peter makes an incredible statement. He says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. That's the gospel, believing the gospel, believing on Christ. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for. What's the outcome? What comes of that? For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now you need to feel the weight of this, what Peter's saying. He's saying Jesus Christ died, gave his life to forgive you, save you, redeem you, sit you in the heavenlies, give you a relationship with God. Yes, every bit of that. And in the same way to give you a sincere brotherly love so that you're able to love one another. In other words, Jesus Christ died so you could have a union with other believers. Think about that. So what that means, listen, what that means is the way I treat my brothers and sisters, the way I'm devoted to my brothers and sisters, the way I say, yes, I'm going to choose to put myself in places to learn, to love my brothers and sisters, all of that, that is not a peripheral issue. That is not an option of the Christian life to say, well, you know, i got a lot of other stuff going on. I'll attend a service here or there, but I don't really need God's people. That's, that's an extra I'm not going to go for right now. No, 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 no. It is a gospel issue. Jesus died to thoroughly, perfectly connect you with other believers for your growth, for your edification, for his glory. It is a gospel issue. And I'm challenged by that. And man, I want us as a church to be challenged by that. That the things we take seriously and the things we prioritize and how we devote our time and how we spend our time, we realize, no, 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 how I learn to love my brothers and sisters and place myself in places to do that, it is a gospel issue. It is a big deal to God. It's a big deal. So Jesus prayed for it. Jesus died for it. Jesus taught it. There's a strange occurrence that happens in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus is there and he's teaching. And you don't have to look it up. I'll just read it to you. It's Matthew 12, 46. But Jesus is there teaching and the crowds are coming around him. And there's so many people. And Jesus' mom, Mary, and some of his half-brothers show up. So they come walking up. And the people in the crowd, some people in the crowd said, Hey, Jesus, your mama's here. Right? And Jesus says a very odd thing. Listen to what he said. Matthew 12, 48. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? What? Jesus, are you feeling okay? You got some amnesia? I mean, what do you mean? It's Mary and your half-brothers. What do you mean who is your mother and your brothers? What does he mean? He's teaching something. Verse 49 says, and stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers. What? You've got to help us here, Jesus. Verse 50, for whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In other words, a true follower, a true someone's been born again. Whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. What are you talking about, Jesus? 
What Jesus is saying here is another one of those threats that there's another threat in East Tennessee especially in areas that are highly tribal in their thinking. What Jesus is saying here, he's not rejecting his earthly family at all. We know that. But he is emphasizing the supremacy and the eternality of his family of faith, the people of God. Not pushing back on his earthly family, but he's saying the eternal eternal nature that I have of God's people is greater than merely flesh and blood. Man. We need to hear that sometimes. This eternal union that we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ. The early church modeled it. Sometimes we think the early church was a perfect church and they did everything right. They had problems. They were messed up people. They they weren't perfect. But man, they were learning to love each other. Acts 2, I'll just read this very quick. Verse 44. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with them all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Not perfectly, but here's what you see. A group of people that were saying, we're going to learn to love each other. We're going to devote ourselves to one another. We're going to invest in one another. They realized we have this connection that's been bought by Jesus. See all that? So my hope is for us that this is not some type of guilt trip or well pastor mike's just trying to make me feel bad this is something to read in the bible as a result of the gospel man you have been brought into the family of god and the way we learn to love each other and the way we learn to be devoted to one another and the way you learn what's this sometimes it's even harder to receive love from god's people that's one of the hardest things for us sometimes is, man, we want to help and we want to serve, but oh, I don't need any help. Oh, I don't need anybody in my life. Yeah, you do. And so do I. So it matters how we learn to love our brothers and sisters, and it matters how we're learning to receive that love from our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're in process. We're in process. So this eternal union with Jesus gives you an eternal union with each other. Let me give you a second one really quick. Man, this is so good. So, Pastor Mike, this seems kind of hard. It seems kind of heavy. How is this even possible? Well, big idea number two is this. God's people have the capacity to love one another with an out-of-this-world, self-sacrificing, Christ-like love. What does that mean? John 13 again. John 13, 34. Look at this verse again. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. Okay, we read that. We hear the word commandment. We kind of bow up a little bit. What does that mean? That... You love one another. All right, so how do I do that? What does that look like? Where does the power come from? And Jesus answers it in the next phrase. Ready? He says, even as I've loved you, that you may also love one another. That's a gospel statement. Here's what that means. If you walk out of this room today... And you determine with all of your personal strength that I'm going to learn to love others. And I'm going to learn to love my family. And I'm going to learn to love my Christian family. And you think you can do it in your own strength. It'll be about 3 o'clock this afternoon until you're very, very frustrated. 
Because Jesus Christ is saying, listen, I'm not commanding you or calling you to love with the kind of love that comes natural. I'm calling you and commanding you to love with the love that I have, number one, modeled for you for three and a half years as he'd walked with his disciples. And the kind of love that I now produce in you by my spirit who lives within every believer. Now listen. Therefore, every child of God, God's people, have the capacity to love one another with an out-of-this-world, self-sacrificing, Christ-like love. Out of this world, it's not of this world, the world can't see it anywhere else, but in the church when the believers and people of God are loving one another. The word love that Jesus uses here, there wasn't even a word for that in the modern day when this was written. They had different understandings of the word love. John uses because Jesus uses the word agape, which means God-like supernatural love that does not come natural. So as we walk with Christ and we abide in Christ and we live in community, we by faith, as we walk in Him, and this is why, listen, you're not born again, you're not going to be able to model this kind of love, you can't. But those who have the Spirit of God living within you by faith in Jesus Christ have that capacity. But what does it look like? What does this kind of love look like? Jesus said, as I've loved you. So throughout the New Testament... There are over 50 different statements called the one another statements. You've, you've heard these before of how believers are following Christ, Christ's example, Christ's power in us are to tangibly and practically love one another. And remember, I said it earlier, but as Jesus makes this statement, he's still wiping the dirt off his hands from between their toes. He has taken the most menial job there was in society that day. You all know people walked around in sandals. The roads were filthy when they walked into a room. Somebody had to get a pot. They knelt down. They got a rag. They cleaned each other's feet. The lowest of low of low of low servants took on that job. And you notice none of the other disciples jumped for it. <laughs> they just kind of left it for whoever. It says Jesus got up, girded himself with a towel, got a basin, knelt down, and began to wash their feet. And then he said, listen, you have the capacity to love each other even as I have loved you. I've just modeled it for you. So 50 times he uses one another statements. Let me just give you a few of these. 25 of them are this. Love one another. There's be devoted to one another. That's priority language. Give preference to one another. Accept one another. That's a glorious word, especially in our culture today, that we accept one another with all of our bruises, with all of our flaws, with all of our imperfections. There is a modeling going on within the church that, yes, I'm aware of all your flaws. I love you too much, and I'm going to call you and challenge you toward something else, but I accept you in Christ. There's a spurring one another on. There's a greeting one another. There's a serving one another. There's bearing one another's burdens. Pray for one another. Be kind to one another. Forgiving one another. A picture of genuine, true, grace-oriented, gospel-empowered forgiveness is to take place among believers. We talked about it earlier. Many of us could say, here's how many times I've been hurt in the church. And here who's, here's who's hurt me in the church. And here's how I have a right to be bitter. And then you come to this. There is to be a level of forgiveness that surpasses any bitterness or hurt we've ever experienced. And the church is to model that. Because we've received that kind of forgiveness by the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgive one another. Be hospitable to one another. Confess your sins to one another. 
that's uncomfortable. And so we're talking about this in life groups, and we're talking about the desire to create more transparent, truly vulnerable atmospheres and opportunities where, yes, I'm not just bearing all, but I'm, I'm willing to submit myself to you and being willing to say, I'm struggling with this sin, and I need you to help me. And I'm inviting you to speak into my life, and I want your rebuke and I want your admonition and I want you to love me enough to tell me I have a blind spot that I can't even see in my life that is this idea of for confessing our sins to one another regarding one another is more important than yourselves do not lie to one another comfort one another build up one another and it's a beautiful picture there it's the same same word that's used of the holy spirit this parakletos of coming alongside walking alongside if i need to speak truth it hurts sometimes yes but i'm building you up and we should be stronger walking more fervently with christ because we're with god's people care for one another live in peace with one another and on and on and on and on it goes what does this look like in our lives what does this look like in the church? Let me, let me just chase a few of these very quickly. What does it look like to love one another like this? We'll give you three examples. Sometimes it involves my treasure. In other words, I think it might be a good question to ask when we read this phrase of this. Okay, sometimes in community, sometimes in situations, sometimes as I'm learning to love my brothers and sisters, here's a question. What does love require of me? What does love require of me? I'm going to handle this situation not by what comes to my mind, not by what goes natural. What does love require of me? Sometimes that involves my treasure. 1 John 3, 17 says, But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Sometimes that means love requires action. And love requires being in community so that we're aware of needs in community. And we don't say, well, I hope the church helps them. You are the church. Sometimes it involves my treasure. Secondly, sometimes saying, what does love require of me? It involves my time. And by the way, that's probably more difficult to come by than our treasure. And I just said it earlier, and again, I'm pointing the finger back at myself. It's good to recognize one of the stumbling blocks in this area is our propensity to fill our lives with busyness and leave no margin in our lives to love. Early church, Acts 2.42, they were continually devoting themselves to one another, to teaching and fellowship. That took time. Took time. Acts 2.46 says, Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Guess what that took? Time. Time. And it's challenging for us in the Western world, and it's challenging for us even with all our time-saving devices. We feel like we have less time than anybody in the world. The point is, sometimes we have to say, What does love require of me? And the answer might be your time my time and I'm thankful for the investment of so many people in this church that take their time and they invest in our students and they invest in our groups and then 
Uh, we have a group of men known as our deacons that invest their time in you and us as a church. And we have a group of leaders down there serving our next generation and they give of their time. And that is happening in a great deal in this church. And many of you benefit by that. But for you and me this morning, let me ask you a couple questions. And these are challenging. Here's a couple questions. Do I have enough margin in my life to love others with my time? Second question, do I have enough margin to spend time with that hurting brother or sister? Do I have enough margin to have that family into our home around a meal? Do I have enough time, enough margin to visit that senior saint? Do I have enough time to host a college student or an international student into my home? Do I have enough time to share the gospel with my neighbor? Do I have, this is going to get you right here. Ready for this one? Can, do I have enough time and margin to show up for the Sunday gathering on time instead of being late? Hello. I love you. <laughs> Not for my sake, for the sake of others. What does love require of me? Sometimes it requires treasure. Sometimes it requires time. And then thirdly, and this one's quick and we're done. Sometimes it requires the truth from me. Our elders have been praying about this, and we, we continue to wrestle with this, and we know there's some areas that we want to grow in as a church, and one of the areas is simply this one. I'll just read this to you out of 1 Thessalonians, a couple other areas. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says this, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Proverbs 27 says, Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. What does that mean? Here's, here's what that means, and I'll, I'll wrap it up. One of the ways love looks often within a family and within the body of Christ is within a healthy church family, brothers and sisters consistently and lovingly confront sin in one another's lives. Well, that's hard. In our southern hospitality culture, we don't want anybody to be upset with us, and we don't want to ruffle feathers sometimes, and we call it love. When we see a brother or sister headed down a path that's leading to destruction, or we see a blind spot in their life, and listen to me, I'm not talking about you being the Jonah and Holy Spirit, and you show up at service every Sunday, and you, here's my next one to pick off. You're in sin, boom! That's not what I'm talking about. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you're invested in the lives of other people, and you see them going down a path, and you see blind spots, and you see things that they cannot see for themselves, and you biblically confront them over their sin that they can't even see in their own lives because you want for their good. If my son is driving and texting, and I find out about it, I am not going to say, oh, I don't want to ruffle his feathers and upset him. If I do that, I am not loving my son. And within the body of Christ, when we live in community and we see brothers and sisters making foolish choices and headed down foolish paths, we out of love. The world doesn't define love like this. I know that. Scripturally, admonish them. Love them. Put the arm around them and say, bro, I love you too much to let you continue down this path. Let me help you. Let me walk with you, whatever it takes. But you are headed down a path of destruction. 
Discipleship in the church does not happen merely when leaders stand up and teach and disciple. It happens when we are discipling one another and we are admonishing one another and we are encouraging one another and the Spirit of God uses that. And listen, that's learning to love one another. My time, my treasure, and truth is often the way we demonstrate love to one another. Final statement and I'm done. What's the result of all this? We talk about being a church on mission and we talk about the church making Jesus Christ known. Final big idea is this. A watching world seeing our love for one another is drawn to the Savior who is the source of that love. <laughs> the world's to see how we interact. The world's to see how we love. The world's to see how we forgive. The world's to see how we deny ourselves. We're learning to love each other and they're to peer in. They're to peer in. They're to look in and go, man. I've never seen love like that before. And the Spirit of God uses that in their lives to draw them to the Savior who is the source of that love in your life. See how it works? I'm going to ask the team to come on up and just begin to play. We're going to kind of move into a time of response. In the early church when this happened... As this was going on in Acts 2 and throughout, the outcome is Acts 2.47 that simply says this. In the context of people loving one another, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. God builds his church. As the world looks and says, that is an out of this world kind of love. So this morning we're going to end with a kind of a response time. And I, I hope you've been challenged by this. As I said earlier, when we dismiss here in just a few minutes, it's Connect Day. And Wes is going to come and give you some more details here in just a few minutes. But this is not about you being a part of a program or you jumping into a group. I hope everybody in this church is a part of a group. Not so we can check you off a list, but so that you are in a place where you're learning to love like this. And where you're in a place that you're learning to receive love like this from God's people. It's a gospel issue. So why don't you just do this for me for just a minute. Why don't you just bow your head right there where you're seated. Just kind of... Close your eyes for a minute, just kind of to block out the distractions. And I, I want to ask you a few questions and trust that the Spirit of God may point out some things in your life that you need to repent from. Or maybe some steps of action in your own life. I trust the Spirit of God to do that. But this morning, let me ask you this. Do you have a perspective of God's people that God does? Is it your desire to learn to love God's people like this? Is it your desire to learn to receive this kind of love from God's people? Is your thinking primarily individual rather than your church family? Are your decisions being driven by what's best for you or what's best for others? Is it possible as even as you sit here right now, this is so foreign to you, this concept of love, maybe because you've never experienced the love of Jesus Christ, you've never been born again. You don't know God through Christ. You play in church. And this kind of love is not even possible for you. When we dismiss here in just a few moments, there's going to be a room at the top of the stairs called the prayer room. If that's you, there's a team of people ready to meet with you, pray with you explain to you what it means to know Jesus. For the rest of us, 
I'm going to pray over us. We're going to stand and sing. And then Wes is going to give us some more directions of a next step for many of us in this room to pursue community and groups in our church. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this truth. Use it in our lives now and change us for Jesus' sake. In his name we pray. Amen. Why don't you...